Exodus chapter 20, we are in verse 13 tonight, and it says, Thou shall not murder, or you shall not murder, depending on what translation you would have. Some of them say you shall not kill. And this is where some people take the argument of, well, you're not supposed to kill anything, see, uh, including for food. Uh, that's why I'm a vegetarian. You shall not kill for any reason whatsoever. As a matter of fact, save the whales. And you get people out there, they have their priorities mixed up today in today's world. But tonight, as we look through these, what we call, what we call the Ten Commandments, or what is called the Ten Commandments, there's actually over 600 of them throughout the book of Leviticus that we're supposed to follow. But God in his wisdom, if you have a chance to really look at these ten commandments, they're not suggestions. They are commandments, right? It's just like the speed limit. I see a sign posted there for all. Unfortunately for me, uh, I drive like it's a suggestion. Um, but the thing is that these are commandments and we, once we read through these things and you see how they're intertwined with one with another, it's obvious that we cannot keep these commandments. And it's just like Paul had said, these commandments you can consider like a schoolmaster or even a mirror up to you thinking so you can see how you are, how spiritually corrupt we really are. We cannot do it on our own. So if that's the case, well, what do we do then? Well, there is the one who did fulfill the commandments, Jesus Christ, and we are supposed to rely upon him. And isn't it awesome through God's grace and mercy that he had the provision for us? Just believe on, the, on him whom he had sent. Then from there, that's where we build our relationship with God and the, how we do the things that are right accordingly. We don't do good things because we're good, right? As a matter of fact, it's the other way around. We do good things because God commands it after we've been saved. And some people think, well, I'm a good person. I can get to heaven. I can get to heaven. I've never done any of these things. Uh, no, it's not a matter of the flesh issue, which is an afterthought. The Ten Commandments actually are a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Out here in the, New, in the Old Testament, they had, they had the rabbis and how they made all these strict rules. Sabbath day, how pastor went through it. You're not supposed to break a sweat. You can only walk so far. They kept it through the physical thing. And the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, man became a slave to the Sabbath. You know, oh man, here comes the Sabbath again. I can't do this. I can't do that. Who wants to go to worship God? I got all these restrictions. It's such a heavy burden. But Jesus went to the heart of the matter it's not so much the exterior, it's the interior that we need to concentrate upon. Now, here it says, you shall not murder. Jesus was asked at one time by a scribe, Master, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And the second is just like it, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we have no problems as humans to love ourselves. No one loves us better than ourselves for the most part, right? And just look at, the, look at our belongings. Look at the treasures that we harbor versus those things that are donated to charity. They're mostly secondhand, and for us, we buy the better stuff. Hey, guilty as charged myself. So here we have the first four commandments. Our relationship to God. You shall have no other gods before me, no idols, anything. We don't know what God looks like, yet in our own pride, in our own arrogance, we think, well, 
I'm going to get this piece of wood or this piece of stone. I'm going to carve out what I think, or I'm going to make a painting or a drawing or an etching, whatever the case may be. This is what my perception is of who my God is. Yet we have variances in what the Bible tells us. You know, God through his wings, and he lifts us up through his wings, and so on and so on. Well, then now does he have wings? Does he have seven eyes? Does he have seven spirits? Well, which one is he? God is a spirit. The Lord tells us that, especially in John chapter 4. God is spirit, and we worship him in spirit. I don't know what a spirit looks like. It's like the wind. I don't know what the wind looks like, but I can see the effects of the wind. Shall not make any God... You know, make any image. You shall not take the Lord, name of the Lord your God in vain. Some people say, well, I never done that. I never cursed anybody. I never used God's name in vain. Oh, wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. You say you're a Christian? Are you acting like one? Goes to the heart of the matter. First four. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Are you saying, he says, six days you shall do your work on the, sixth, on the Sabbath day. Take a break. You need it mentally, physically, spiritually, above all these things. Some of us might harbor ill feelings, you know, man, here it's Monday morning, I'm trudging off to work again. I hate this job, I hate traffic, I don't get paid enough, I have to do with the people, and so on and so on. The Lord has blessed us, amen? No matter how bad the situation, you can, you are, you know, you can always find another job as long as you ask the Lord to be in it. But the thing is that the, the Lord has blessed us with wherever job we're at. Do your work. You're supposed to pull your weight. And it says in six days. And there's laws in Leviticus and rules in, you know, throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Torah, in the, in the Pentateuch. It says, do your work. Do your job. No sloughing off. You're not supposed to be lazy. You're supposed to pull your worth, be your, pull your worth and weight. And on the sixth day, or the Sabbath day, I'm sorry, in the Sabbath day, take the time out. Worship God. And this is such an awesome thing to see how our fellowship is growing. You know, people are coming out finally again, worshiping God. Worshiping God. And we should be excited, no matter how long it takes, whether it be 45 minutes or a two-hour service. Right? We're, we're here worshiping God. That is what the day should be set apart. And I am blessed to say that even when we go on vacation, I look ahead of where we're staying at to see, look for a fellowship to go fellowship elsewhere. You, you might take a vacation from life, but not from the Lord, right? And it's awesome, even how Pastor had mentioned this past Sunday, no matter where you go, where you find your siblings, you're home, you're with family. No matter what part of the world, no matter what financial situation, no matter whatever the case, you find your siblings and you feel like you're at home. And then, last week, and then the last six have to do with our relationship to one another, relationship to man. The first one, commandment number five, it says, honor your father and your mother. Honor it. And how pastor talk, took us through that last week. Well, you don't understand my dad, he was such a jerk, or my mom was such a this, or she was never there in my life, and so on. It doesn't ask you. It doesn't ask your opinion. It tells you, honor your parents, no matter what. And the next one we're going to is, you shall not murder. A third grade teacher was once teaching the Ten Commandments to her class in school. Some of you might, be, um, might have been around long enough that in public schools they did some of this stuff. Um, she was discussing the commandments regarding honoring one's father and mother. Then she asked, is there a commandment 
regarding brothers and sisters and a little girl raised her hand and says, thou shalt not murder? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> murder is not to be confused with killing for food. Now tonight, there's a lot of scripture references. I'm gonna, I plan on taking you through the Old and the New Testament. Go to Genesis chapter 9. And this is after the flood had occurred and the waters had been um, blown off or dried up, if you will. Genesis chapter 9, and the ark had already rested there on Mount Ararat. And we're at verse 1. It said, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. First off, that is precious right there. You have eight people. You have Noah, Mrs. Noah, Ham, Shem, Japheth, and their wives. You got eight people there. And he tells them, he gives them a commandment, be fruitful and multiply. That means procreate. Fill the earth again. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Perhaps before the flood, there was some kind of fellowship between animal and man. Well, we saw that in the Garden of Eden especially. But here, because of the flood, because God needed to destroy man, sinful man, wicked man, evil man, conditions have changed, including the face of the earth. Verse 3 says, Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So basically, God is instituting the kosher law here. Drain the blood. Drain the blood of an animal, what you're going to eat, and then you can go ahead and cook it. This is what, what the word kosher means. So here again, that murder is not to be confused for killing for food. Murder brings about moral decay and lack of values to society. Go to Proverbs chapter 6. If every man, if there was no such thing as a law, there, you know, we wouldn't know what lawlessness was. However, we do have limits, and God had set limits. Proverbs chapter 6. And some of you might have heard this before. In uh, verse 16, it says, There are six things which the Lord hates. And now here it catches our attention. Whatever God hates, we should pay attention to these things as well as these are the things that God loves. It says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. That means it's like something so putrid, you know, that you just want to vomit it. God has no room, no place, no, nothing for this. Verse 17 says, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood or murder. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. And verse 19 says, A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. That's also known as backbiting, trash talking. Someone that's saying something bad about someone else, ruining a reputation, ruining their spirit. This, is all, this also constitutes as murder if you're, you're, you're assassinating someone's character. Go over to Hosea, that's over going towards the New Testament. I just got a new Bible and um, 
<laughs> come out of a loss here because my other Bibles have tabs. Now I have to really work it. <laughs> Hosea chapter 4. We're at Hosea chapter 4. And when I first read this, I had to read it over and over again. It's like, my gosh, isn't it? I, I don't know what to think. Is it, are we that derelict or that deprived in our hearts that throughout the ages, man has not changed? This is how sinful man is. Verse 1 says, Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. There is just so much that there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. We've, this, this country was based on Christian values, regardless of what the atheists think, or those who try to kick God out of our society. Um, my son is blessed, his 8th grade class, that uh, this time next month, I will be with him in Washington, D.C. We're going to take a D.C. trip, and I'm so excited to see you know, how our founding fathers, without having been kicked out, you know, I've heard how they try to kick out the Ten Commandments in certain courthouses. A lot of the scripture is still on federal public buildings, and I'm so excited, to, I'm going to be able to see some of that. But our society is Christian-based, Judeo-Christian-based. Yet in the early 60s, people didn't want God. They didn't want what they called religion. They didn't want to be told what they're doing is bad. No one wants to. And so they try their best to kick God out. What happened in 1962? The atheists won, right? Soon after that, we had the hippie movement. And then we had Roe versus Wade, Vietnam conflict and so on. It, it, have things gotten better if you really look at our society? We even had a president who lied, blatantly lied about ha having an adulterous affair. It goes all the way up to the president now, from the people up, up to the president. And unfortunately, th our elected politicians, our officials, are almost a reflection of our society. It's a shame. So, thou shalt not murder. Is this command applied to war? Protection, self-sacrifice, self-defense, manslaughter, capital punishment? How about against criminal action or criminal intent? Euthanasia, mercy killing, suicide, abortion? These are topics that man does against another. Are these all excused? I mean, does, do these all fall under thou shalt not murder? Go to Numbers 35, back in the Old Testament. It's the fourth book. Numbers chapter 35. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 35, and we're at verse 15. A distinction is made between murder and accidental death here. Manslaughter. We're at verse 15. And it says, um, sorry, 
<laughs> I'm at the wrong chapter. Like I said, new Bible. Someone moved things over. <laughs> Verse 15 says, These six sh- cities shall be for refuge and the sons of Israel and for the alien and for the sojourner among them that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. There was a provision for manslaughter. There was an accidental death that someone else might have been killed. There were cities that were set out. If you lived, say, in Corona, and you accidentally killed a man, while the nearest city of refuge would be, say, your Belinda, you can take off to that town and stay within its city walls, pleading innocence. Now, the reason that they have that is because on the opposite end, the nearest oldest male relative to the person who was killed it's called the kinsman redeemer or the goel and he would follow that person to avenge the murder or the death or the killing of that nearest relative and so then the high priest would hear or the judges would hear what the case was what happened and if say this person was free of um, free of murder but it was unintentional I'll tell you what, you can stay here and that man cannot come in here and kill you. He cannot harm you at all, but you have to stay in here for the rest of your life. Or until the high priest of that town died, then you can go home. However, if it was intentionally done, if, you, if it was found that you did murder someone, we'll see here that God says, you know what, get him out of my face, take him out, kill him. God says kill him. Let's read on. Verse 16 says, But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. If he struck him down with a stone in the hand by which he will die, and as a result he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he struck him with a wooden object in the hand by which he might die, and as a result he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. It's kind of hard to say. The blood avenger himself shall put the murderer to death. He shall put him to death when he meets him. If he pushed him of hatred or threw something at him, lying in wait, and as a result he died, or if he struck him down with his hand in enmity in, in or as an enemy, and as a result he died, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The blood avenger shall be put shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. God has said in the criteria here, look, these are the things that constitute murder. Murder is wrong. Verse 22 says, but if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or threw something at him without lying in wait, in essence an accident or manslaughter, or with any deadly object of stone, and without seeing it dropped on him so that he died, while he was not his enemy nor seeking injury, his injury, then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the blood avenger according to these ordinances. The congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the blood avenger, and the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he fled, and he shall live it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes beyond the border of his city of refuge to which he may flee, and the blood avenger finds him outside the border of his city of refuge, and the blood avenger kills the manslayer, he will not be uh, guilty of blood because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. 
But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer shall return to the land of his possession. Well, what does that say? Okay, I'll tell you what. If he's a murderer and he's been found guilty, kick him out. The, the, the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, the blood avenger, can have his way. If he's an innocent man, he's got to stay in his safe spot. If he dares to walk out and he's caught by this guy, all bets are off. He can, be, he can have his way with him there again also. So although compensation in some cases we'll see, uh, or, or a ransom payment of money for some criminal activity can be paid off for crimes, this was not the case with murder. Say, for instance, well, if I stole something from you, then I have to give back to you two times what I stole the worth, or if I did something else. You have compensation, you have uh, restitution, if you will. However, there's nothing for murder itself. The only thing you can pay back with is your own life. So in essence, the rule for eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth rule does apply here. According to the law of Moses, the person responsible for carrying out the death, as I said before, is the, um, um, the kinsman redeemer. Now concerning self-defense, well, what does it say about self-defense? Go to Exodus chapter 22. We were just over chapter 20. Scoot on over to chapter 22. Is self-defense allowed? If someone basically tries to break in your house or tries to do harm to you, do you have the right to defend yourself? Exodus 22 verse 2 says, I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Verse 2, if the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltness, guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. What does that say? Okay, at night, you wake up, there's a thief busted in your house. You have every right to kill him. However, it's daybreak, and you see him prowling around your yard. You can't kill him. That's almost like our laws today, almost. So some people say, well, you know, my friends on, in Fontana who are well equipped with armory, they say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll shoot him, then I'll drag him in the house. No, that does not apply. <laughs> you cannot do that. However, it says here that, you know, in the daytime, if you still see him lurking around, that does not apply. If, you know, he's supposed to compensate for you, but if he can't, then he needs to be sold into slavery. And that's how you'll get your money back. So self-defense in this case is allowed. I recall when, remember the, when 2000 was going to roll over, people were in mass, I don't want to say mass hysteria, but people were pretty much uppity and antsy about, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And, I, and uh, I made mention to somebody, oh, you know what? My family comes first. If I have enough, I will share. But if they try to steal from my family, I will take them out. And someone was amazed, like, oh, you would do that? Yes, if they're going to come in and try to harm my family and steal from them, yeah. Well, I thought you were Christian. Well, thank God I am. <laughs> now, how precious is human life? How precious is it? We are, we are created in the, in the image of God, right? Um, in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lord Himself, Jesus, 
came and manifested himself in the human body. Why, why wouldn't he be anything else? Well, he wanted to save us. He wanted to save us, so he became like us. It, the incarnation, the creation of human body is, is precious to God. Uh, Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 and 3, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Not so much this place that we live on, but everybody that's in it throughout the ages. God so loved Stephen and Deborah and Don and Chris and Carrie and so on. He loved you so much. That's how precious you are that he sent Jesus for you. How precious is human life? It's, impre- it's precious indeed. Go to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139, the psalmist gives us better or even a deeper insight as to how precious we are in the sight of God. Some of you might be familiar with this psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. Makes me envious sometimes. I wish I had wrote some of this stuff. (laughs) Verse 13, Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Remember, God told Noah, be fruitful, multiply. Do You have a job to do. To murder someone is contrary and disobedience to God's commandment or ordinance there. So where does murder come from? How is murder carried out? Go to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're going there, I'm going to share something with you that really bothered me this week. Number one, you don't have to look far for what happens in, in, in today's news. I mean, our newspapers are rated R. Really. And I apologize to Chris tonight for this, but there was a situation in Houston that occurred There was a girl that broke up with her boyfriend. She was going to the Texas A&M University there. She went to his apartment. He strangled her, killed her, cut her up and barbecued her pieces. What is the intent of all this stuff? It's, It's bothersome. It really is. In today's newspaper, the Orange County Register, there was a, a, a... out in Theo Lacey Jail, they're located in Santa Ana around the 57, 55 freeways there. An inmate was killed in a minimum security prison, in a minimum security uh, facility. And as how this paper is laid out, you can maybe go halfway, coming vertically here, on how um, the, the place, the facility was split in two. 
And right in the center of this room would have been the guard tower or the guard room where they have full view of everybody. Now, there's no cells in this facility. They're cubicles, like an office cubicle. And inside these cubicles, there are beds and there are bunks. Well, for whatever reason, the newspaper is investigating that um, the policemen or the sheriffs that are supposed to oversee these prisoners, they leaked out that this one man was a child molester. No, he was arrested for having child pornography. And so they leaked this information so that these other inmates, these shot callers, what it is that in jail, according to this article and from what I've been told, is that when you go to jail, there's no equality. There, it's a race issue. And that there's a hierarchy in there. And the hierarchy, the high man in for each race is called the shot caller. And this man was a Caucasian, so he belonged to that race. And the deputies had leaked that to this man, the shot caller, that he was a child molester. So he arranged it to where this man was taken to a cubicle, still in plain view of the deputy's office there, and was beaten to death. And these men were also going, you know, he was crying, stop it, I'm in pain, I hurt. And they said, well, you pervert, there are kids that you hurt too. And as he was lying there unconsciousness, they were, they were uh, conversing as to who was going to defile the man's body. Anyway, this man died. He died. And of course, the, 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 deputy said, the deputies had said, well, we didn't hear anything. You know, they have a TV in their office there. They're not supposed to be watching TV. They're supposed to be watching the inmates. And there were other inmates who were of the other, other races that could not get involved. They were out doing their own thing, either playing cards, dominoes, watching TV. They said it sounded like someone was playing drums. It was that loud. The depravity of man. And what makes it ironic, in jail you have a code, an ethic, a code of honor or conduct, if you will, they have no tolerance for rapists or child molesters. And this is how they deal with things. Lawlessness. And this is what we can, we can find in, on almost any given day on any newspaper. How corrupt is the human heart? It tells us right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And this is after our Lord is talking about the, the Beatitudes here. Jesus talks about murder here. Verse 21 says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, I love that. When Jesus tells these guys, But I say to you. And he, the reason he says, You have heard these things was because no one wanted to take accountability or even the studying. It was all verbal and oral tradition. While well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, this is what this means. But the author of, our word of, of the word of God says, but I tell you this, you've heard other men pass it down, but you're going to hear it from my lips now. But I say to you, verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, or raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What Jesus here is talking about, okay, he's getting to the heart of the matter here. 
You've heard them say of old, you know, you shall not commit murder. You guys think it's a physical issue. I am telling you that's something even deeper. If you are so angry at someone, if you hate someone enough, that is where the murder starts. And, and brothers and sisters, tonight I confess to you, I have an anger issue, especially with my son-in-law, and I confess it to you. To, com- to compress a seven-year story, it got to the point to where I... I actually prayed, forgive me, Lord, that he would be struck dead. But as I read this, I mean, it really convicted me. And I apologized. Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't realize, you know, what I was thinking or doing. If you have so much anger, have you ever been so angry that you might have reacted in a different way? Going back to my son-in-law, him and my daughter were separated and he was living in another city and he would come down and pick up our grandsons, his sons. But he would come stinking of alcohol. And I told him, dude, this has got to stop. If, I hear, if you do this again, I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to give them the license plate, the make of your car. They're going to pull you over. I don't care anymore. And one thing led to another. He pushed the right buttons for me because I held the buttons out. And I went inside my house, took off my glasses, removed my watch, and I went back outside, and he cursed me even more, and I let him have it. I gave him a good beating. <laughs> and unfortunately, I thought what was going to make me feel better, it didn't. I felt even worse. I felt even worse. So reacting upon emotions... You know, it, it's, it's, there's something there that the Lord knows us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows our insides as well as our outsides. We are precious to Him, including those who are obstinate towards Him, willfully. If you have an anger issue, that is where murder stems from, such as the case of this man who killed his ex-girlfriend, these inmates who killed... Uh, an innocent man who wasn't guilty of what they were talking about. Now here in, in John, in, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks of progressive levels of anger. The first level he speaks is a temper that flashes and subsides quickly. He simply says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now in the second level, we see another level here of anger. If you say, Raka, are you good for nothing, or you jerk, or however you want to put it. This is a burning, smoldering, brooding, unforgiving anger. You guys ever been, you know, wouldn't let go on something, and how it festers, anger festers in you, and it rots inside of you to where you either can't sleep, you, you can't focus on anything else. You want to do physical harm, or you desire physical harm upon someone else. It's a glowing ember that, that just will not put out. We have to let it go. And a third degree here where he calls someone you fool or you worthless, you're telling someone, you know what, you're, you're not even worth the spit, if you will. You're not even worth, why were you even born? Which would bring a person down. As Like I said before, character assassination. Isn't it something how 
I'm sure some of us might have gone through this, how say you met someone or you're into a new situation, they say, and this person says, see that guy over there, stay away from him, he's no good, he's blah, 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 blah. Right away, start, we start forming our own opinions, right? Well, I learned praise God because of racism. Some of us have been exposed to that also. That I'd rather find out things for myself. And isn't it awesome when this person has an issue with that person, yet you go on your own and you can talk to that person? Wow, I can see where the problem lies. It's not this person, but the person who told me. You know, where I work, I, I work with a lot of people. And when each department I went into, I've always been told or forewarned about someone else. You know, they're, they're hard to get along. Well, they got no problems with me. It must be you. <laughs> How depraved is the heart of man? Go to Revelation chapter 20. It's the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 20. And we are... At verse, I'm sorry, chapter 9, I'm so sorry. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. Now, is war okay? Is war, does war include thou shalt not murder? Well, I can tell you right now, there are situations to where God had instituted war as a judgment upon certain people for either disobedience, lawlessness, However the case, God had called war. Now here we'll see in the end times, God has called out war against an unbelieving world here. Verse 20 says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, there are the six or seven plagues here, did not repent of the work of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and the brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. How depraved is the human heart? You know, you ever tried to, tell, to share with someone, hey, brother, I think you're wrong? No, I don't want to hear it. You're wrong. And then, you know, even in, in their own way, because they just don't want to hear it, they'll say, they'll, to the blue in the face, I am totally right. So now going back, is war scriptural or righteous? God, and I've told you how God had brought war upon as a judgment. You don't have to turn there, but I'll give you a brief list here. In Numbers chapter 1, it lists the number of males that were of age to go to war and protect the nation of Israel. In Numbers chapter 10 verse 9, it says, When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. And you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, um, it says there are about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. And 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 2 and 3 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. If you recall that, how we went over that a few weeks ago, how when Israel came upon a certain part and they asked the Amalekites, Can we pass through your land? They said, Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, we're going to fight you. Remember that? And that's the situation where Moses held his hands up with a staff and they got, you know, and that's when the Israelites were winning and his hands were getting tired. And then the other side started winning. So then he had a couple guys holding him up, two guys alongside him. 
That is what this is talking about here. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. God says obliterate them, not just the people, but everything that they owned. Man, that's tough. That is tough. And if you don't, well, what will happen? If you let a child live, they will be raised and, hey, wait a minute, you killed my family, you killed my, my nation, I'm going to go against you. They will try to seek retribution that way. <clears throat> and Numbers 21, 14, it says, um, it mentions here, wherefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord. So apparently Moses must have kept a book or log of all the wars that these that the Israelites had fought. And it wasn't just for fun, it was for defense and as well as for judgment. Now, should a Christian be a soldier, you shall not murder. Well, what is a soldier? A soldier is for protection, amen? And we have a lot of our precious souls that are serving in the armed forces right now that, um, well, I won't go there, it's a political thing, I suppose, but pray for them, pray for our soldiers. Go to Romans chapter 13 and it'll let us know whether it's okay to be in the armed forces as a Christian. Romans chapter 13. It's right after the Gospels, right after the book of Acts. Verse 1 says, <clears throat> Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those who exist are established by God. So in essence, God has built up a government and he placed those in ruling over us. Verse 2 says, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive, will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. That's basically, the, that part right there is about capital punishment. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscious sake. For because of this, you pay taxes. Ugh, taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. There is a government here. The Lord has placed people in authority. We have laws. We should abide by them. If we are up in arms against our, our, our liberals nowadays, are so quick to badmouth our president, they're basically not trusting God, um, even though back in the 90s when Clinton was still in office too, a lot of ungodly things. But for whatever reason, God placed him in the office. We should respect the, our, our leaders here, unless they blatantly, I'm sure, go against God. You know, right now we have uh, a blessing in this nation to worship out in public. If they say it's going to be a, a, a law from now on that you can't, illegal, 
well then I think that's when it's okay because God comes first in everything. Capital punishment is biblical. Have you ever got, or seen when people are on death row and you people outside chanting, no, you shall not murder, you shall not kill. Well, wait a minute. The Bible says get rid of them. Considering cancer, what is cancer? It's basically what a growth that occurs. It's a disease, a disorder. It's characterized by uncontrolled division of cells and the ability of these cells to spread, right? And what does it do? It makes us sick, if you will. If you will. It's like poison in our bodies. And if you don't take care of it, what's it going to do? It's going to spread. What, do, what did our doctors try to do? They try to implement medicine or procedures to remove these cells from spreading, especially in the superhighways of our bodies called lymph nodes, right? So what they'll try to do is that they'll try to catch it and remove it. If we consider murders the same way, too, you need to get rid of them, unfortunately. Um, the scripture does not only reveal God's desire for us to be diligent in protecting life, but it also reveals his punishment for not protecting human life. Not animal life, but human life. We need to be good stewards concerning our, you know, this planet, especially everyone that lives in it, but man is most important here. And I find it interesting to where, you know, the Bible does call for capital punishment, what you should do with people who are disobedient, whatever the case. It does not call for rehabilitation or certain length of incarceration or life imprisonment. It doesn't say any of that. Yet it, I'm appalled on how people say, well, that's what the Bible says. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. Now, Concerning capital punishment, how we saw, go back to Genesis chapter 9, all the way back to the first book of the Bible now. In Genesis chapter 9, that is the part where, it talks, where God is talking to Noah about uh, going out, be fruitful, multiply. You know, here's these things, be a blessing here. Now, over in verses 5 and 6, however, it says something different. Uh, concerning um, you know everything that you can eat there. Verse 4 says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5. Verse 4 is the kosher law. Verse 5 says, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, in verse 6 says, By man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God is calling for capital punishment here. And this is where some people say, well, here, this is where capital punishment was instituted. I don't know. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. I don't know if that's where it was instituted because if you remember the story between these two brothers who grew up alongside each other, verse 1 says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, Adam here, his, he had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So we have one shepherd here, and we have a farmer. Verse 3 says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock, 
and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Speculation is, okay, well, why did God see favor in, in Abel's and not Cain's offerings? Well, it says that Abel brought the fat of the lamb. Basically, he had slaughtered an animal. He gave God the sacrifice. He understood that something had to die for him to, as an offering for God. And yet Abel, uh, Cain gave stuff that grew from the ground. Nothing died in his place. That's just the speculation here. And so because um, God had accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's, of course, Cain's, well, you love him more than me. So, oh. But God says, look, if you do what is required and what is well, won't you feel better? Or aren't you going to feel better once you're obedient here? And right there, verse 7 says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, do not give a foothold to the devil. Do not give him an excuse. Do not give him an inlet in, heaven, in, in, in to causing you to sin. Verse 8 says, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Some people think that this is the first murder. No. In, in John chapter 8, Jesus says that Satan was the murderer from the beginning. He killed our first parents, Adam and Eve. He deceived them and kicked them out and made them um, fall to sin and got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Are you supposed to take care of each other? Are you supposed to take care of your brother? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Verse 10 says, he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood, blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground. And from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So he, here he knows that he's already cursed, and there's speculation here. Okay, well, there's, the earth is already populated at this time. Otherwise, how would Cain know? Well, there's other people going to see me. They're gonna be, I'm, gonna, I'm cursed. They're going to want to kill me, for then they're going to know what I've done. And this is where God puts the mark on, on Cain. What is the mark? Don't know. Cain knows, and that's all that matters. Unfortunately, because of bigotry and racism, and I only find this here only in America, where people said that the curse of, of Cain was that God changed him into a black man. That is pathetic. That is pathetic. But anyway, regardless of what this, the mark was, was that people were going to know that he was a murderer, and people were going to seek vengeance on him. So it might have been that that's where capital punishment might have been instituted right there. But it was made clear by God to Noah. Now what are other offenses for capital punishment? I'll go ahead and go through this real quick. Sacrificing to false gods, false prophecy, blasphemy, offering human sacrifice, 
profaning the Sabbath, magic and divination. This is what I like. Habitual delinquency and persistent, persistent disobedience to parents and authorities. Man, we could use that now. Striking or cursing parents. Kidnapping. Abortion. Suicide. Well, how does that fall under capital punishment? Well, I'll tell you what. That falls under thou shalt not murder. You are murdering yourself. There are people who don't feel like they have no self-worth. Uh, what, where does personal discontent come from? Perhaps from pride. I deserve better than this. You know, the world or however you might want to put it. I've had it. I'm out of here. From poverty, financial issues can strike a person down. Covetousness, greed, desiring something else that they cannot have. Mental health issues. Extreme physical pain. A broken heart. We might all know of someone who had committed suicide for whatever reason. Euthanasia is also, does also fall under you shall not murder. Vengeance, wrath, and anger. If you recall in Genesis chapter 34 where the sons of Israel, there was one daughter that was listed there. Her name was Dinah. And she was seen by a prince of another tribe. He wanted her so bad that he raped her. Her brothers found out, Simeon and Levi. And what did they do? They said, well, I'll tell you what. If you want to marry our, our sister, you have to become one of us. And so they said, well, what? the guy says, sure, what do I have to do? Well, you and all the men of your town have to be circumcised. And on the second day after they were circumcised, these two brothers went out and killed all the men in their vengeance, in their wrath, in their anger. Sex crimes are also, they also fall under capital punishment. Adultery, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, unchastity, and rape. Now how many way, different ways was murder committed? With the hand, with the mind, tongue. You ever said anything so wicked? You know, it's like, you know, that's the one thing a doctor cannot heal is a, a, the lashing from a tongue. The pen, plotting another's death, having intention to kill another, consenting to another's death by not doing anything about it even. Remember when Saul stood off and held the coats of many of, the, of these Jews who killed Stephen? Not hindering the death of another when in power, such as Pontius Pilate. He says, I find no guilt in this man, yet he still had Christ crucified. It's a hard issue all around. Unfortunately, we have battered women, drive-by shootings, movie heroes who are lethal weapons who die hard, a world full of angry people. There were genocides in Bosnia, Croatia, Africa. In our country, we hear of road rage, postal workers going postal, employees going berserk, and students killing other students for the sheer thrill of it. You know, I, I, I was in, in 1998, I was in Europe, and I was in, in Rome at that time, and I, and I was serving in another youth ministry from another church at that time, and I wanted to find out how the teen situation was in the other part of the world. And the, um, the detective I talked to, he says, well, it's nothing like America. And I took insult to that. However, on the way home, Columbine had occurred. Oh, man, I was so embarrassed for us. 
Proverbs 27, 4 says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? What causes murder also? Hatred and racism even go along with that. Race, uh, the hatred, the Sanhedrin hated Jesus. They plotted ways to kill him. Racism, if you remember, Haman hated Mordecai and he fi- tried to find a way to kill all the Jews at that time. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, it's not chapter 5, it's verse chapter 4. It says, Paul speaks of this anger, be angry and sin not. You can, it's okay to be angry, but don't go and try to feed that anger and sin even more. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Anger seeks to destroy those around us as well as us. So where does murder come from? It's an, un, it's an unbridled fury is where it stems from. There's no such thing. Uh, crimes of passion, right? All from anger. We live in a world where we need to take responsibility for our own personal selves also. Like Joseph in Egypt, remember how he was sold off by his brothers. And yet, they, when their father died, they said, remember, our father said, you know, uh, you know if, when I die, you, you can't take anything against us. And Joseph said, man, for all that you guys did, I still love you. Don't you see what God had did? Joseph did not subside. He did not dwell in this anger. He had every reason to, but he chose to be obedient to God above all things. And a cooler heart prevailed there. And he took care of his brothers from there. And so we must also take care of each other. Amen? Well, Father, thank you, Lord, so much for for your commandments, Lord. They are so incredible and the more we dwell upon these things lord may we just dwell in them and consider your word to us father and uh, for those of us who do have anger issues lord i pray that we would repent of these things and run to you lord run to the foot of the cross i pray lord for a healing upon those who do have anger or strife that we may seek our brothers out as your word said, Lord, as our Lord had said, if you come to the temple and you still have an issue with your brother, leave your offering and go and repent and make things well and then come back later. Father, it's a pride issue that keeps us from you as well as from each other. So we pray, Lord, that our prides just be blown aside and that we can find and seek forgiveness in each other, Lord, as you have um, uh, created us for. Father, we pray, Lord, for your glory upon all the lives that are here, that um, your spirit would just continue to dwell, Father. May your spirit just emit from ours, Lord, that the people that we uh, encounter, Father, would want to know who it is that we serve, and it is you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We thank you again, Lord, so much. Amen.